The best advice I would give myself is to recognize that my children are themselves. They are not a projection of me, nor were they me or I am them at their current age. Welcome to the Dedicated Com Podcast. I'm stoked to have you on. Thank you. I'm Philip Hartmann and I became a dad of twins and triplets in a mere 13 months. Yep, you heard that right. 13 months, twins and triplets and still alive and kicking. And I love it. My sessions are always a heart-to-heart -heart conversation between two dads, myself and my guests, who are sometimes very well known, sometimes totally not. What they all have in common is that they stepped up from being a father to being a dad, and they all share their own experience and learnings. Our goal with the show is to learn all there is about being a dad, and of course we want to inspire other dads and mums in an effort to help facilitate family success. I believe ultimately this will contribute to making the world a better place. If you like this and want to become part of this conversation, I encourage you to share this content, subscribe to the show and let us know your thoughts. You can do so by sending us an email via dedicated.com or just leave a review. Thank you. You can also book me for a keynote on building successful families. Just go to dedicated.com. And with this, please enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Evan Harris is an entrepreneur who's been married for 25 years. He has two sons, 13 and 16. As teenagers, they've already learned the ins and outs of investment and they've bought and sold action figures, motorcycles, cars and even a boat. I love this session because I grew up associating bad energies with money, really, and so I love his perspectives, shares and how he deals with money in the family. When he was a child, Evan used to join his dad on his appointments and listened in on the financial advice his dad gave to his clients. The lessons he learned primed him for building his own bank, which provides capital to people who want to buy and flip houses, and it imparted him to emphasize financial literacy and independent decision-making on his own children. In the session, we discuss how he separates emotion from money in his relationship with his children and motivates them to work for things they want. They value their possessions and leverage them to achieve more. He has a fascinating approach to gamifying their financial experience and he provides valuable insights into the roles both of fathers and external mentors in their lives. The most powerful takeaways for me as a dad were It is essential to provide a training ground where children can fail and recuperate from it at the home. You don't want them to fail the first time in the real world. Actually, maybe sometimes you do. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing your children to external figures or virtual uncles from whom they can learn is a powerful tool in their development. And lastly, giving an allowance doesn't provide much educational value, but earning money for real work and even having the option of taking a high interest loan from your parents can be hugely beneficial to children, if managed carefully, I would add. I hope you liked the session. Let me know your thoughts in the reviews and please do enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Have fun. Evan, I'm super stoked to have you on the show. Finally, uh, I think we started talking, what, in August last year or something. And the last time we spoke was in September. Yes. And now we finally got it together, man. Thank you for being on. Honored to be here. Thank you. Thanks. So uh, the last time we, I know we, we know each other from uh, Michelle, 
Kripalani, obviously, and I know you run SD Equity Partners. We can talk about it in the podcast now. And I know you're the youngest son of four boys. And your dad was already 50 when he had you, if I got that correctly. And That's right. So your brothers were 16, 16, and 18 years older. So you obviously must have had twin brothers, which is interesting. <laughs> I have twins too and triplets. Um, and so today, or in the last time we called, your parents were married uh, for 75 years. So I found that quite impressive. So maybe we could start with that. Talk a bit about your own upbringing and their values and what's their secret for such a long and successful marriage. And then maybe we go straight into um, Evan, the dad. Or maybe, maybe give us a minute business rundown so we've got it out of the way. And then we go straight to Evan, the dad. You got it. Business is easy. Essentially, we're a small bank to people who fix and flip properties. We provide capital to people who are looking to obtain a residential house cash and they wish to make it better and resell it. They're not going to live in it. They're just going to take away the stink. They're going to make it look better and they're going to sell it again. We provide the capital to do that. And then we have investors that we pay between 10 to 12 percent. They get all the interest. We get the points in between. And we do that over and over and over again. That's essentially the business in a nutshell. Yes, we do have our own portfolio. We play Monopoly for real. We obtain properties that fit what we're looking for, hold them for a period of time as long as it serves, and then sell it when, the, when they don't. Amazing. <laughs> okay, straight to your parents. So give us the secret, 75 years married, and how did you grow up? I'd say my parents' secret is that they were committed to each other. They didn't always love each other or being loving to each other, but they were committed to each other. And I think they recognized that in order for them to best love their kids, they needed to love each other. And mm -hmm. it was always a united front. If I tried to play my dad against my mom or my mom against my dad, it was evident that they were united. And if they were unclear on what the other one said, they would then collaborate or connect first and then decide upon what, whether I was going to get out to go to play or whether I could be able to avoid doing my homework or whatever it was. I believe they were unified first. They put their marriage first. So then they could be able to parent and raise us boys. And having four boys in the house, that's yeah. no easy task. <laughs> and I believe that it took, it took them teaming up, uh, I would say against us, but also teaming up for us to be able yeah. to have the power and resilience to be able to raise us. Yeah. When you say teaming up for you, what, what do you mean? Well, it felt like at times teaming up against us because they were going to thwart whatever, whatever outcome we wanted. But yet, really, it was for us because they were consciously looking at what our school schedule would be like the next day. They would see that we still had homework to do. So for us to go out and play football and then come in for dinner and then be wiped out and not being able to complete our science experiment or science assignment, they recognized that we didn't have the bandwidth. So it, sometimes it felt against, but as I look back on it now, I recognize it was really for us that they were helping to, to help really see what our future looked like. And the future might mm -hmm. only be in one hour, but also our future could look like graduating high school, college, and then into our careers. Mm -hmm. What was your dad doing? What was his profession? My dad was a professional money manager. So he essentially enabled people's finances to be able to get them financially free. He, he did have a lot of letters after his name, like CFP and all the licensing for insurances. Mm -hmm. uh, but his passion was getting an idea of where people are now as far as their start point 
and being able to help them get where they want to go. Not necessarily where my dad wanted them to go, but if he would to interview someone, he would give the analogy of if you were to walk into a mall and look at a directory, there, it's great to be able to see the map of all the different stores available, but yet there's one piece of information that is essential, and that is the red dot. And we all know what's next to the red dot, and it says, you are here. If we don't have that reference point of that red dot, how do we know where we're going to be able to, how do we know how to get where we're trying to go? If we're trying to go to a store and we find it on the directory, that's great. It's alphabetical, so it's usually pretty easy, but we need to know from where we're traveling. And that was his key component within finances, is getting people really real on their assets, their liabilities, and then hearing where they wanna go, and then connecting that possible path and helping people realize either how hard or how reasonable their goals are, and then be able to chunk it down into years, into months, into weeks, into days of what their habits would look like to be able to get where they're trying to go. Mm. And to, in today's terms, you call it financial advisor and... and yeah, he, yeah, he was a financial beyond advisor, that, I guess. Yeah. but I think he also helped people make wiser decisions about their life. And sometimes it was marital counseling. You know, if someone wanted out of a marriage, yeah. <laughs> he might say, all due respect, you know, we can do that, but let's take a look at the financial ramifications that mm -hmm. this would bring. And so I think he brought a much more life component to his planning yeah. or his money management yeah. Uh, because I think people thought, for example, if they were to split up, well, they just take their net worth, split it in half, and all, all is well. Well, as you can imagine, that, that's really not, that's not the reality of things. Uh, or if someone buys a boat, they look at the acquisition, let's say it's a quarter mil of, of a pretty substantial uh, uh, vessel. But the repair costs, the dock, the dock fees, the, there's so much more that goes into something like purchasing a boat or a yacht he was able to articulate that message and help people see where their, their finances would go for that acquisition or because of it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I know money was in a topic because we talked about it last time. We said something like money was like water and mm -hmm. I wrote down here, ask, ask about how he treats money now and why. Can you share a bit on that topic? Because it was very interesting the last time. Sure. As a kid, I was a Boy Scout, and a lot of times we'd go on hikes or we'd go on uh, different kind of campouts, and a big component was taking a look at what's in your bag. Uh, we would look at the amount of miles we were going to travel, the kind of weather we were going to travel, and what resources we felt we needed to have. So we, mm -hmm. would, we would look at, we would have a, a, a hiking buddy, so to speak. So I would look at my hiking buddy, make sure my hiking buddy had the proper footwear, proper clothing. If we had anticipated uh, maybe some, some cold weather, some hot weather, we would have the right gear to be able to endure that. But a key component always was water, water, water. We can, we can deal without food. We can deal with you know, in, improper clothing, but water was always essential. And if we're not gonna have access to water on this hike, are we bringing the right amount of water? And not being reliant upon someone else and their water, because if they've brought just enough for themselves, well then now potentially someone's gonna deplete their supply. So the analogy is money is like water, meaning once we recognized in our pack, we had the right amount of ounces for the right amount of, of journey, we no longer thought about our water anymore. We knew it, we checked it, we confirmed with our, our, our hiking buddy, and we moved on. And as we're hiking, we're not thinking about water because we know what we had. But I find with money, and my dad found with money, is those who don't know the, their, their water, they don't know their money, or they don't know their hike, they don't know what their life is gonna look like, they fixate on money, oftentimes because they're unsure. Once someone is sure 
of the journey that they want to embark upon and the money that it will likely take, they now no longer have to fixate on money. They just use it like water. Yeah, which, is, which is assuming that there's enough water flowing <laughs> so you can do any hike, right? So you might have to adjust the hike and you can walk a little bit less if you have... The hike needs to be shorter if you have less water. You're we talked about right. this the last time. I mean, the it's a lot of around financial planning, right? It uh, is how much does the family planning. cost? Yeah, it's, can it's you also talk around, about that? It's around, around life, life planning too. Is what what yeah. do people truly want, and what will it take to get there? That also includes time, and and mm -hmm. money is a component of time. If if someone doesn't feel they have time, there's many people that can be able to do some of the heavy lifting that can make time you know compound or make time flatten. How do you mean? Well, let's say someone wants to start a company and they want to be CEO and they want to do everything as a, as a one-person one person company. It may take them a long time to scale that business. But if they're willing to hire excellent people and surround themselves with a team or they, let's say they have a marketing company, company alongside them, a sales force come along, they can be able to get where they're trying to go much faster because they've got many people doing the heavy lifting. But that oftentimes takes money. It takes a vision. And, and it takes leadership. And if someone has those things, I believe they're able to really collapse time and scale much faster or get their life to where they want to be much faster through collaboration. Yeah. Now, who is that? Who was that? Elon Musk does that, no? He has these crazy deadlines and he yes. misses them by... It, it, uh, missing the deadline is, is a feature, actually, because he sets them... So crazy, like we're yes. going to populate the moon in five years. <laughs> okay, the, the Mars in five years. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so, but, 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 but by setting the deadlines in such a crazy manner, he kind of exponentially uh, speeds up the curve to success, right? Very Because true. And I think he, he awakens people to ask themselves, how could we, right? Instead mm -hmm. of can we produce this vehicle or this achievement, He says, how can we? How are we going to do this? This is the deadline. How are we going to get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in financial terms, in terms of families, so can you talk a bit about family planning? How much does a family cost or how much do children cost? Or how do you look at for that? Sure. What's your advice or your experience share on uh, planning for families financially? You know, a lot of the stats are available. People, you can actually look at what it costs to feed a family of, of four, a family of five. You know your number as far as what your family looks like, and you know where you live. And a lot of this is available. What used to be really challenging, you have to look up things at the library. You now have mm. in your pocket. You can literally look up on your phone where you live, type it in, what your family's like. You can even look at, you know, do you eat organic? Do you not? And are, are there, is there going to be future edu education? Are you going to do private school for your kids? So these, these financial planners, these wealth managers, there's, there are some tools that people can literally type in their life path and see the expenses that will be aligning with that path. And then they may want to be able to, to scale it down. If they have these big dreams as far as you know, two vacation homes and private schools, and then they see what it's going to take to get there financially, they may decide, you know what, I want to spend more time with my kids and I don't wish to have those kind of expenditures. Maybe, maybe no vacation homes or maybe we make in consideration around, uh, around schooling and we do, we do public instead of private or we do homeschool. So it just gives people, I think, more clarity 
around what they're going to have to sacrifice or do to be able to get what they want. And most all of this is available online and a good money manager should have these kind of questions. There's just different types. There's, there's financial planners that really get everything detailed, like really granular. And then there's others that more of you bring your assets to them, you share where you wanna go. Some are fee-based, some, some are not. There's a lot of different types. But my, my passion really is just helping people get a vision for their life and getting an idea of what it will take to get there. Now you ought to do this. It's not just I do this money more lending. As, as a I do this with EO, like entrepreneurs organization. I do this mm. with my friends because uh, many people they're they're empowering me. They're the ones teaching me. If I can give something back, if I can share with them how I've arrived where I've arrived and where I'm where I'm seeking to go, I believe that the tide rises all ships. So if I can be able to invest in others and share the talents, you know, I grew up with, with my I go I went to with my dad on his appointments. So yes, I was born when he was fifty. So by the time you know I was five he was 55 he was you know really flourishing in his career he said he didn't have time to really be throwing the ball with me a whole lot he needed me to come with him so i would just come and i would color on my coloring books i was into coloring books for some reason but i would sit on the ground <laughs> and i'd color but i'd be there at the appointments that my dad would be having with his clients and i would get to hear a rhythm of his questioning you know tell me mr and mrs watson You know, where are we today? I have your, I have your data. I have your, your, uh, your numbers. But where do you think we are? Give me, a, give me an emotion around that. Are you feeling, are you feeling solid? Are you feeling unsure? And he would just progress through these questions that would allow people to connect their heart and their feelings to the numbers. And as a little boy, I, I grew up in these conversations over and over again. And I think that implanted in my mind, even though I don't think my dad thought I was paying attention, I was, even sub, maybe subliminally, I, I, you know, I was as well, that it then kind of became me growing up. And if I can help pass on that, pass that on to others, yeah, I'm honored to do that. Mm, it's super interesting. I actually, I spoke to Warren about it today, my mentor. Um, I've never thought about financial planning for the family you know i mm -hmm. just i built the business and <laughs> we do projections in the business we have a budget we look at monthly i mean we, i look at every expenditure and i like at plans i look at the sales forecast i look at the pipeline um you know we look like how much does it cost to hire new people but like i've never actually i mean i know it but i've never given it some thought that if the kids want to study at university potentially i might have four or five children at the same time at college <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know, in the mm -hmm. in the states that costs what eighty thousand dollars upwards, and and times five, times five, times five years. Okay, that's two million. That's very very true. <laughs> you, know? you know, my my oldest son, we outlined the expenses that will be invested in him, and that he will likely be investing in himself. So we're transparent. Our kids know our net worth. Our kids know what our business are, produ is, are producing. They oh, know yeah. what our real estate is valued. And my, my oldest son, who is uh, 16, he is in high school, but he's also in college at the same time. So we laid out how much college would cost, and we said that we would pay his tuition and his lodging, but he pays everything else. And if he decides to take a different path and it's approved by us, he will be able to pocket the difference. If he wishes to go above and beyond in a different way, let's say masters, etc., he will then pay the difference. But here's an allotted sum. So he did some research and found that there's a way that he can do both high school and college at the same time. 
So currently, he is enrolled in that program. We are paying it. It is a fraction of the cost of college. He does it all online. He was doing this before this, before this COVID thing. So in a way, he was training for this. So he goes online. Huh. He crushes his morning where it's high intensity, but he's done by like two. And he's able to do both college and high school. So by the time he's 18, he will have an associate's degree, a two-year degree in college. He will have his high school completed, and he will then be, have two more years of college, and his goal is to have internships. So he's, he already wants to start doing, he's already, he already has his own business, and he, he's doing something as, as kind of a kid would do. He does a lot of buy and sell, kind of like what we do in our, our houses. Uh, he does in whatever he's interested in. Currently, he's very interested in motorcycles. So he buys motorcycles that are broken or in need of work or people that are in need of cash, and he fixes them up and resells them. And that's, that's what occupies more of his afternoons. But it only came by us telling him, here is the expenditure we're allotting for your education. You can choose your path. And if you wish to take this path, you will have excess cash, but you're going to have to hustle. So what, what a different path. If, if he wants to be a carpenter and not go to college, you give him the difference. Yes, for uh, so for carpentry, we we did go over the uh, the skills, uh, the the different types of uh, of trades, and we said mm -hmm. that that he would still need to graduate high school. That's a non negotiable. And then okay. after high school, if he wishes to enroll in a trade school, we completely honor that, and we, he has an allotment of capital that he can be able to apply to that trade school. And most trade schools are very affordable. He would then after the trade school have capital to invest in his first business. And then within our wills and trust, he has different types of, I'd say, keys to unlock different levels of capital, where if he starts his own business, he'll have an infusion of, of monies to go into that. If he uh, has different, reaches different scale he and, and different age, he will then be able to get more of those funds. He wouldn't If something were to happen to me and my wife, he wouldn't just all of a sudden inherit this enormous amount of, of money that he didn't know how to manage. It, it's all based upon age and uh, his, his own, I would say his own accomplishments. And if he doesn't accomplish certain things at certain ages, well, that money will just get donated to other places. Are you also transparent around that? I agree with it 100%, by the way. I think it's a great idea. Are you also transparent around that? Does he know how the system will work? Yes, yes. He knows to expect nothing but to hope for everything. <laughs> no, no. What I mean is, does he know that you've gamified your um, inheritance or his inheritance and that he can unlock certain levels of cash by building a successful business? Completely. Everything is transparent. So he recognizes wow. that, uh, for example, if he chooses sobriety until a certain age, he will unlock a pretty hefty sum. If he chooses, there's certain things where we're not saying he has to do certain things, but it's an invitation, not an obligation. So if he hits certain thresholds at certain ages, he unlocks. It's, to me, it's like a video game. If the yeah, kids yeah, play video games, gamification. 100%, yeah. Right. So if, if they're in a game and they unlock a certain treasure box in a certain amount of time, there is an abundant reward there. If they wish to not pursue the treasure box, all good. That's fine. They're going a different path. That's wonderful. It's just going to be a different type of reward. Huh. So how long does he have to be sober or not drink alcohol un until he gets the treasure box for that? Sure. So he has a treasure box at 18 and he has a treasure box at 21. And then another one at 25. 
And you include so it, what if he smokes marijuana at at eighteen? You take Great the t- treasure so box away. Me, so for me, when when uh, I, I consider anything that is intoxicating, so anything that takes out of yeah, sobriety, yeah. I'm not against alcohol. I'm not against marijuana. I am for sobriety. So it is an invitation to choose sobriety if he so chooses. Now after 21. You know what? That's that's his choice. And I know there's many people that they enjoy some beers, they enjoy some wine. I have no issue with that at all. But I do recognize that for my life, sobriety has served me incredibly well. And and this isn't a religious thing. This is just my own my own my own yeah, body, yeah, yeah. my own life. Yeah, of if he chooses yeah. sobriety of those years, 18, 21, 25, he will unlock different different rewards. And he may he may come to the conclusion, you know, it's not worth it. That's great. That's okay. Then it's just he'll have other treasure boxes. If it's not a it's not a pass or fail, meaning yeah. if he chooses yeah. if he chooses not to, he doesn't eliminate other opportunities. Yeah. But is there is there um, margin for error? So what can you drink beer three times before you take it away? Or how do you, do you how strict do you make it? Oh, if if he chooses to ingest in some fashion something that is intoxicating, he's he's now he's now lost all the treasure boxes in that in that immediate channel. immediate Correct. loss. That's right. Okay, there's hundred percent. It's black or white. Yes, correct. And how this is so interesting. And and how did you? Um, well, I'm sure you did. Can you share a little bit about how to teach children financial literacy and entrepreneurship from a young age? Sure. You know, we used to joke that uh, we wanted our kids to go bankrupt multiple times before they're an adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what? Yeah, you know, it's a lot what, less. Yeah. Yeah, yes. And so, you know, I wanted them to want things and not be able to get it. You know, so for example, they would want things and I would say, one, if we go to the store and they would say, daddy, I really want this. I said, that's awesome. Get it. And they say, well, what, what do you mean? I said, well, get it. And they say, well, I need money. I said, okay, what did you bring? I said, well, I, I didn't bring money. Okay. Well, next time, are you going to bring your money? Yeah, I'm going to bring my money. Okay, great. And then we'd go to the store again. Dad, I brought my money. Great. And at that time, they might have $5. And I'll say, okay, did you bring enough? And they said, yep, sure did. And we would walk all the way to the front and they would put the item down. And let's say the item was 15. And I would let them go first. They wouldn't commingle. And the person at the cash register would say, okay, that's you know, $15.35, whatever it may be. And my kid would put out five and they would say, sorry, you're short. <laughs> oh, I, so I, would, I would just look at him like, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. And he would, he would say, um, I need more. I said, okay, so what do you wish to do? Do you wish to take out a loan uh, or do you wish to just put the item back? And if it was a loan, there is interest. So just as a bank and a credit card, it's, it's a high APR. It's, it's a high interest because they, they, they don't have any assets to protect me. So to me, that's a high risk loan. So this is a, it's a 1% per day loan. So however long that, the loan is out, that's a loan it's shark. 1%. A long yeah. shark, very, very much so, very much so. Long shark. So if it's a ten dollar loan, you can you can kind of do the math on on yeah. that. And and a lot of, they they would initially they would take the loan, and then they would see how their loan is actually drawing off of their chores. So they're doing chores, they're doing all these different things to to add value around the house to earn more money. But they're now just trying to pay off their loan that's getting. Very expensive. It's almost like a treadmill. So they're just going, 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 but they're not really making any headway. They're desperately just trying to pay off their interest. And it only took a couple of times like that for them to say, "Whoa, pump the brakes." That did not work out very well. We're not going to take. We're not going to take the loan like that. 
Instead, we're going to wait until we have the capital to do so. And now we're moving into other people's money with my 16-year-old. So he's taking out loans on things that he can purchase and then resell. So he can be able to buy with, with my interest, but now I have something to secure. I have a motorcycle. I have 12 of them outside my house that he, my son has bought over time. And my money is secured by those assets. If I need to, I can repossess those assets and I can be able to sell them for more than I, I, I purchased them for. And then he is selling them, of course, for more than he's purchasing them for. And his holding costs are, are, much, are much smaller because he's holding them for approximately two weeks and he's able to sell them quite quickly. Now he really doesn't even need my money. I think last week he made $4,600, which for a 16 year old, I'd say not, not, not bad. Uh, so he, he, he I think money, has right? that mindset now. Yeah. And, but this only works if you really take the emotion out of, out of the transaction, right? Because lending money with emotion attached can be very, very destructive. So how, did, especially in a family setting. So how did you manage to make money such a, you know, factual transaction without emotion? I think just like we're talking now, you know, we talked about money is like water. And, you know, mm -hmm. we also would joke money is like oxygen. You know, right now I'm not thinking about oxygen all that often at all. But I recognize that when there's a lack of oxygen, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about oxygen a lot mm -hmm. and it's going to be incredibly valuable. So I think with the kids, we just talked about it like it was oxygen, like it was water and it was a tool. Like money didn't have an emotion to it. It is just a tool, you know, much like fire. Fire can be an incredibly powerful tool that can keep us warm, that could cook our food, but it can also burn as well. And so when mm -hmm. we look at money, it's, we find it's just a tool. You know, even people reference in the biblical reference, you know, money is the root of all evil. Well, actually the scripture reference is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's not mm -hmm. money itself. It's the love of money and it's, the, it's all kinds of evil. It's not It is not evil. It's all kinds of evil. I mean, it can come from, you know, one can, can covet. They talk about all they want is they covet. They can come with greed. There's all these things that can come from it. So just like fire, I don't find fire inherently dangerous. When used correctly, it's an incredibly powerful tool. But it, when used incorrectly, yes, it can be very devastating. So when it comes to lending, I recognize, I just let them know this, this isn't dad lending you money. This is the Harris house, our, our house. The Bank of Harris is lending for this, this purchase that you want, but I want to make sure we're really clear, these are the terms. And we have them signed. It might be in crayon, that's true, but we have them signed because we recognize this is for us in our home. We want them to fail in our house, meaning that this is the training ground. So once they get out mm -hmm. in, the, in the real world, in the field, They're going to be signing documents. They're going to be signing things if they want uh, to buy a car. I remember when I went to college, the first day of college, I'm walking into the square and there were all these booths set up and the majority of them were credit cards and magazine really? subscriptions and all these things. Wow. And they would say, here, get your That's credit card even. here and we'll give you a free towel or we'll give you a free, a free uh, t-shirt of your college. And there are oh. all these free things. All you have to do is just sign up, spend no money, just get a credit card. And I thought, wow. If these kids aren't trained, they are being invited into a really dangerous, potentially, situation, much like if someone is using fire for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, we didn't, we kind of skipped that because we jumped straight in. What's your family situation? Just update the listeners quickly. 
kids, uh, marriage. Our family situation. Yeah. All right. So we've, I've yeah. got a, a bride of 25 plus years. Uh, we met in college, so it was incredibly helpful. We're both teenagers at, at the time, so you can do the math about where we are. Uh, we have two sons, 16 and almost 13. And uh, we've got a dog and a cat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I want to come back to the money topic because I find it super super interesting. Did you give your children an allowance when they were younger? Uh, no, I've never given them an allowance because uh, I believe that just living in my home that's 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 more than equitable. Mm -hmm. But if they do different work, if they do work above and beyond, uh, like cleaning the room is not is not a paid for paid, uh, activity. Yeah. That's just the right. Mm -hmm. They have their own room. They they need to clean it. But if yeah. they go above and beyond, like let's say we uh, mow the lawn, we have a, we've mm -hmm. we've moved to a much larger home now. But when we started, we had a very small postage stamp lawn, and I thought, well, let's let's let the let the let the kids learn how to mow the lawn and do all these things, things that I would pay mm -hmm. a gardener for. Let's have them do. So those would be things that they would earn, things that I would pay to have my car washed. I would let them wash my car. Now, for a five-year-old, that car wash is not going to be all that great. Yeah, They're not yeah, going to yeah. reach some of the high spots. But it was just I wanted them to understand a work ethic and be able to earn from that perspective. But they do. My, my oldest son works with me now. So he actually visits clients with me. Uh, he processes proposals with me. So actually, he's active in that way. Uh, my youngest son does more filing. Uh, he can be able to uh, do emails. Uh, so they're, they're actually actively working in our business more behind the scenes, but I desire to have them more front of the house, not necessarily mm -hmm. to take over our business, although if they wish to at some point, that would be a potential, but I just want them to get the reps in. I want them to understand communication, uh, customer service, uh, work ethic, organization, uh, problem solving. If a customer is called and they're really unhappy with something or there's an email that's coming in that feels threatening, how do we respond to that? And I, I think that, that it's tough to learn that in an in a education setting in college but actually learning on their feet I think is really powerful and then we're going to filter it so before they reply to an email they're going to send it to us and then we're going to go ahead and send what they've sent to us forward to the client but we're going to have a discussion first so it's an opportunity they're really going to fail forward but they only fail in our hands they're not sending it to the client we're the ones that are going to filter it first yeah yeah that's more like a mentoring kind of role and also yeah that's really good and also um You mentioned it a few times, but really what it means is if you fail young, you fall a lot less mm -hmm. high, right? Because it's easy to fail when you're three or five or six. It's very difficult to fail the first mm -hmm. time when you're 25. That's why it's such so important to let your kids fail early and at home because it's a safe mm -hmm. environment too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's so interesting. So I've been leading the conversation completely. What can you just share some stuff with us as a dad? I'm sure you you have some interesting topics. Sure. You know, I was thinking of a concept looking years ago. I think if we study the past, you know, we can oftentimes mm -hmm. avoid some some future failures. So as I was studying the past, I saw the the concept of apprenticeships uh, were really prevalent. Like that was a thing. Like my 16 year old son, if he was born in a different era, likely wouldn't be living with me right now. And I was questioning, like, there's so much 
he kicks against so much of my rules or kicks against so much of our parameters. You know, if we say, you know, be home by 10, oh my gosh, 10 o'clock, are you serious? Why not 10.30? Or if I say, okay, come back at 10.30, oh man, why not 11? Why not midnight? Everyone's <laughs> staying out till midnight. Course, Every kid everyone, is able to come me. home at, yeah, you know, yeah. no kid ha at 16 has a curfew. And oh, you're the worst parent ever. If, if any of you have heard that, recognize that is not new information. That's uh, pretty common. But I recognize that, that years ago, a 16-year-old, especially a 16-year-old boy, oftentimes would be living with a tradesperson that they have interest in. So yeah. if they wanted to be, I think you said carpentry, a lot of times they would identify a carpenter that would have an apprenticeship. We kind of call interns, but our interns typically don't live with us. But back in the apprentice days, they would, whether it's a blacksmith or a, or a carpenter, they would yeah. literally live with the person that did that trade. And they would not only learn the trade of, let's say, carpentry, but they would learn how the carpenter prepares their morning how they prepare their night, when they stop working, when they start working, how they speak to their spouse, how they speak to their kids, how they live at home. There's so much more because my son has seen me, which I'm still dad, which it has advantages for sure, but also has disadvantages where he may look at me and go, ah, oh, that's just my dad. You know, I can't, I can't either live up to his expectations or my dad's just wired that way. That's not normal. But if he went off to an apprenticeship, he recognizes, oh, wow, this person does that too. Or this person does it in a way that's more relevant to me than my dad. Or I hear their voice better because he hears my voice all the time, but he would hear a new voice. So we've come up with a concept called virtual uncles. And my wife and I look for strong adults in our kids' lives and we ask those adults, would they be open to spending time with our kids around a specific thing? So we had an adult that was really great in marketing and we're okay at marketing, but we hire great people in marketing. So we asked if they could do any kind of filing, do any kind of work with them, but in return, maybe sit in on their meeting, their morning huddle or their morning meeting, or being able to be some a part, even if they get them coffee, whatever it is, but be a part of what this marketing agency does. And every time we've asked, we've got a yes. As long as we're not really asking much in return other than they could be observers. And having our kids have these virtual uncles in different situations, not just business, but it can be other areas as well. My kid, when he was younger, wanted to learn how to take apart an engine, wanted to know mechanics. So a friend of mine was rebuilding a class, rebuilding a classic car. So I asked, would it be okay if we came over and brought you lunch and just handed you tools or did whatever you wanted us to do, but were able to stay out of your way, but learn. And if you could just talk while you're doing it, if you're rebuilding a carburetor, whatever it might be, could you just kind of speak as though you're getting recorded and just tell us what you're doing and why you're doing it? Wow, what a powerful time. Every weekend we go over yeah, to this house yeah. Yeah. and we would get to learn. And our value add was some sandwiches. And of course, I think this person really enjoyed that these young people were interested in the mm. very trade that in this man's mind, most young people aren't interested in anything mechanics. They just want to take yeah, their car to get repaired yeah. and they don't, want to, they don't want to know the why behind it. But our kids were fascinated and they learned so much from this virtual uncle with a different voice and a different type of energy that wasn't dad. Mm. That's such a good concept, yeah. We we have this in Germany still. Like this. It's called mm. a master tradesman and the master and the apprentice and the apprentice has to do, depending on the trade, 
I don't know, three, four years, and he has to go to school. And nowadays, you don't live with the master tradesman mm -hmm. any longer, but it, it used to be that case. Um, but we still have that system of master and, and, and apprentices. Yeah. And you can't actually, in a lot of the trades, you can't actually, in Germany, it's, it's organized into guilds. You can't actually start your own carpentry if you're not a master carpenter. Mm. Mm. So you have to go through that certain, and it teaches you a lot of stuff, you know, it teaches you respect, like you said, it teaches you how to treat others, it teaches you how business acumen and the trade and many, many other things, social aspects and that, yeah. Okay. Excellent. So was it the same for both of you boys? Did they both uh, respond really well to the virtual uncle idea and the different topics and, and how were they different in that sense? Yes, they respond well to the virtual uncle concept, but they are very different. I wish yeah, sometimes sure. that they were the same because just as I'm starting to learn my uh, my oldest son's uh, ways, uh, and then my youngest son is very, very different. So my uh, my oldest son really, I would say he's passionate about freedom. He's passionate about getting to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Uh, he loves the idea of business and value add, uh, taking things that are of low value and making them high value. That's a rush for him. Like garage sales mm -hmm. were some of his best, best learning where he would save up $2 and he would go out to garage sales and he would be able to negotiate for things. You know, if we go to Target, Walmart, wherever y'all have stores and wherever you listen to this, it's very hard to negotiate in a chain store for, yeah. for an item. But at a garage sale, if you have these, these are people that literally put their stuff that typically they don't want, but has some value, and they put it right in their driveway or in the front of their house, and they have an idea how much it is, and sometimes they'll have a price on it, sometimes they, they won't, but just about everything is somewhat negotiable. And so yeah. our, our kids, every Saturday morning, we would drive around the neighborhood, and they would hop out, and they would assess value two different items that they were interested in and they would then negotiate. If they thought it was a great value, we always taught with respect, they would pay the price and, and they didn't have to, to negotiate if they didn't feel like it was necessary. But if they thought there was something of value and they thought that there was maybe some consideration, they would say, you know, are you flexible on your price? And you know, if a kid asks an adult, are they flexible on their price? Yeah, of course. Most of both adults are, are pretty gracious. And it, it gave them momentum in a way that even with $2, they could spend the morning, you know, they, they might buy a stuffed animal for 25 cents. They were talking when they were just learning how to walk and talk. Like we started this real early. And that was one of our, our starting grounds of, of getting them to understand value. And then they began, my oldest son began to sell things on eBay. So he would buy things at garage sales. I wanted to ask of, you, were they uh, flipping of, stuff? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, collectibles, like little Hot Wheels and Star yeah. Wars figures. Make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. things of that nature and then take good pictures and then post it on eBay and sell it for much more than he paid for it. Now, did he make a fortune? No, but did he make a couple thousand bucks? He did. And that was a big, big deal for, for a little guy. No, of course it is a fortune. I mean, if you just look at it in percent, you know, you spend 10, 20, a hundred dollars um, and you start selling things for a thousand. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what else is there? Share some more stuff. This is super interesting. Sure. I think uh, having fun, you know, my youngest son is all about games. Uh, he is super playful. Uh, so if he can gamify an activity that's healthy mm -hmm. uh, or something he desires, that, that's been the key to, uh, to my youngest kid. And so with, uh, with the eBay, he wasn't real interested in that initially. 
And then he found that he really wanted to have more of a certain collectible and less of another collectible. So he started selling that which he didn't want to be able to buy that which he did. And then he understood that there was a way to trade. Uh, so we have, uh, we have different apps uh, from where one is called OfferUp uh, and there's Craigslist and all these different ways. And so there's ways of saying a certain price with pictures or open to trades for and then listing out the trades. And we read a book, I believe it's called, is it the, the Red Paperclip? I believe it's, it's someone had a Red Paperclip and from a red paper clip, oh, they yes, traded yes, for, yes, yes. I think it was a pen, and that pen happened to be collectible and got into, like, I think a snowmobile. All I know is I think it ended with a house. And to, my, to our kids, it was such a story of, of mm. innovation and possibility. They thought, well, anyone can have a red paper clip. But it took someone that was willing to communicate and show a vision and do the work to be able to get to a house. And we try to we try to surround our kids with stories. And each night before they would go to bed, they don't do it now, but up until probably the last two years, they would get story time at night. Whether it's me talking to them or reading to them, but also they get to listen. Uh, so I would choose authors on Audible and some others uh, of books that are a bit more mature, but it was something rather than nothing. Meaning they didn't listen to Barney, but they did get to listen to Tony Robbins, or they did get mm. to listen to, you know, it could be Warren yeah. Buffett. It depended on the mood that I was in. And they, they, they didn't start there. They started with something that was very fun and light, but then we began to build just like repetition, repetition. One of their favorites was uh, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, rich dad, poor dad. And they also had for the kids version. And then mm -hmm. we would start getting the, 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 the games, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad kids version of um, uh, cash flow. Yeah, it's called cash flow for kids. And then they, they went from cash flow from, for kids to actual adult cash flow. And then there's a cash flow advance where you're actually able to buy options and you're able to do all these little lending deals on the side. But it, it took getting the reps in of just, you know, you have a lollipop and you bought it for, you know, 10 cents and you sold it for 20 cents and how much did you make? 20 cents. So 100%. in my experience, it's been about percent <laughs> and making yeah. it very simple and then taking those simple concepts and then getting them to be more advanced into today's world's language. Mm, yeah, this is super powerful. I mean, my parents really didn't do a good job with explaining money to us. You know, they <laughs> rather used money as a, le as a leverage, which I perceived as very, very negative. Mm -hmm. So for a long, long time, I kind of like completely ignored money. I hated money. I didn't want to give mm -hmm. money an energy, you know, because it was always attached to an emotion for me. And only when I started the business, I kind of was able to free myself from that because I gained independence also. And so then money was for me independence and, and running a business for me was independence because I, then I can just make money, right? The business eventually starts printing money uh, if you do the, the work. And, and so th this is super, super interesting. Are they your kids into crypto? Because if they're into games, um, I know, I mean, these days all the big games have, have virtual currency and, and crypto obviously is, is important at the moment. Or oh, it's, it's hyped again. It's always important. Are they into crypto? Uh, we've looked at different asset classes. So we talk about, you know, there's different, there's different components of value. And so we, we, we have uh, real estate. Uh, we have both apartments, residential, and uh, trailer parks, and, or we should call them mobile home parks. These are these are homes that were set there. They're not on mm -hmm. wheels. They're not moving. Uh, then we have stocks, securities, 
bonds, and then we go over crypto, and we just looked at look at we try not to influence what they choose. We want them to choose their asset class. You know, I think Warren Buffett to me is a, is a, is a mentor, a man that I've never met. But there's most of my mentors are people I've never met, but they're no less no less powerful in my life. You know, Warren Buffett. My interpretation is he says the investment is not risky. The investor that doesn't know what they're investing in is risky. So for my kids, they knew action figures really well. They knew which ones were authentic from the 70s and 80s and which ones were recreations and they have scaled that into much bigger things. My son has sold a boat, he sold five cars, sold a Lexus SUV, sold a Porsche. So there, there's, there's unique things so that they were interested in. And for them, if they're interested in crypto, then we're going to double down on learning crypto. If they're into real estate, so they've come into some of the real estate deals with us. Now, they don't have a whole lot of capital. They might only invest $4,000, $10,000, but that's what they want to invest. And then we show them how their money goes to work. They get what's called a trust deed. And then when that property resells, and we get the proceeds, then they share in the upside of those proceeds. Or if they were just a lender with no downside, then they just got the interest. Mm. But so from what I hear is you've never just given them money. You've always taught the value of money and that money isn't easy to come by, but it's easy enough if you work for it and if you're smart. Yes, uh, I do provide all food, clothing, shelter, etc. Of course, I do. Yeah. I do provide uh, so birthdays and Christmas. I would say mm -hmm. birthdays probably about a hundred, uh, and that doesn't count the party and all the food and that type of thing. And then Christmas probably more like two hundred. Uh, but aside from that, like my my son wanted a a BMX race bike, and I said, great, go you know go get it. And he had to work to be able to get it, and then he got it. And my oldest son wanted a, a racing motor, motor, motocross motorcycle. Um, he got that. And it's, it's, I believe people, people pay attention to what they pay for. If they didn't mm -hmm. pay for it, they probably won't pay attention to it. So my, my sons don't leave things out in the rain. They don't destroy things because they worked for it. Like they're, Now their shoes <laughs> that I pay for, just being transparent here, uh, they don't necessarily take the best care of their shoes because uh, I've bought them their shoes. But when it comes to making decisions such as a brand, let's say it's a brand of shoe that's $100 versus a brand that is very reasonable, let's say Vans for you know, $40 or $50, I'll allot what I think is reasonable for the activity they're looking to do, and then anything above and beyond that, they'll pay the difference. So, you know, they were they were in sports, and I provided them the sporting equipment that I thought was was reasonable. If they wanted to go way above and beyond on a certain quality or, or really a, just a, a unique type brand, all carbon fiber or whatever it might be, they can pay the difference. Mm. Yeah, it's super powerful. It's, it's very, very valuable what you're saying because I think for many parents, money is a difficult topic, right? Because a lot of people have a weird relationship to money and you seem to be able to completely detach the emotion from the actual transaction. And that is very powerful. Yeah. Hey, um, Evan, we've got another like five minutes. Is there more stuff you want to share? Yeah, sure. You know, I just I just find that that life is is really 
It's about loving and leading. You know, I'm, I'm learning this for the first time. I've never been a mm-hmm. dad of a 16-year-old or a 12-year-old. Well, 12-year-old once, but a 16-year-old ne- never. Um, I'm learning as I go. And I explain to my kids that, hey, your dad loves you very much, and I'm going to make mistakes. I'm, I'm going to goof. But my, my hope and my prayer is that you would see me as your hero and your anti-hero. What I mean by that is, as a hero, I'm going to do things that you may want to emulate, that may serve you, that you see life more abundant for the ac- actions that I've taken, and you want to copy those in your own form. But you're also going to see things that would be the anti-hero, or I'm going to make I'm going to make some mistakes, or maybe I've done some things where you think you know when you grow up you're going to parent your kids much differently, you're going to live your life much differently, and I want to really applaud those too. And I want you to know the difference between them. And we have the buffet theory. You know, when we show up to a restaurant and there's a buffet, we're not obligated to eat every every morsel of food from every single container. You know, we get to choose. If we're really into the salad, well, then we can have an abundance of salad. If we're desiring to have some macaroni, we can have some macaroni. But we can also pass by some of the some of the foods too. So I said, you know, I'm just going to display a life that the, is the best I know how to do. But like a buffet. Select the items that you think really serve you and that you feel called to, and that which you don't, you don't. And, and I believe that, that we all have a creator within us and we have a divine appointment. And I say let, let God guide you as toward what who you are and, and what you desire. And then I would just say in closing that I remind them that they are not me, that I'm going to be proud of them, that I love them for who they are. And that they never have to measure up to who I am. But I would have them consider that they can stand on my shoulders. That I have stood on the shoulders of giants. People like you that are interviewing me or Warren Buffett or Tony Robbins or whoever it might be that I've learned from. That I have not developed all this myself. I've developed very little of this myself. I've just tried on other people's ideas and that which serves, I've moved forward. So I want them to know they can truly stand on my shoulders and go the direction they want. They don't have to live up to anything they think I've obtained or anyone I am. They are themselves and I'm going to love and be proud of them however they turn out. Nice. Bingo, that's a perfect closing. <laughs> Thank you, man. This is really good advice and actually a very, very valuable experience share for me. And I will certainly remember this and I will listen to this again, what well, I do anyways when I write the summary, because there were so many nuggets in yeah, in your ideas and how you treat money and how you teach the children and how you know, you're obviously translating a lot of these um yeah, tra- transactions into value. Not just monetary value, but relationship value in that sense. And I find it very, very positive. Thank you. It was really good. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you today. Super. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you liked this session. If you did, please share this podcast. I'm sure you know someone who wants to hear this. Make no mistake, your shares are meaningful and they drive our success. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening in. Hope to catch you next time. Have an awesome day. Ciao.